0: Hello, founders, and welcome to another episode of The Gab Lab, a show that's designed to bring you financial intelligence that won't only just blow your mind, but it's there to help you build your bottom line as well. I'm your show host, Tonya Woods-Richardson, and today's episode is being championed by our good friends at Community Futures Sunrise. Okay, do you dread the sales call? Picking up the phone speaking to the prospect closing the deal this episode is for you we're joined in the lab by sales expert alice wheaton she's going to tell us exactly how to do just that how to make the call but potentially more important how to close the sale this episode is all about generating top line revenue and securing sales for our business now and in the future this one's for you i'll see you in the lab don't miss it alice welcome to the show Thank you for having me, Tanya, uh, pleasure. I am so thrilled you're here, we go way back. I have seen you in action and uh, it is so great to see you here. We've been on the phone, we've been chatting lots, um, but yeah, to, to connect face-to-face here is uh, is very cool. So I'm excited for everybody listening and watching, Alice is on the show today to talk to us about sales. Uh, and, you know, I, I just want to share this, sorry to, uh, sorry to, to, uh, to sabotage or to, to take the call over, but I want to share this analogy because I think it is so true of founders in the sales process. So I'm watching my girls soccer game the other day, she's going to kill me for this, but watching my girls soccer game the other day and the girls worked so diligently to get the ball and all of them, it didn't matter who had the ball, but for some reason they would get that ball and they would run it up or kick it up, whatever they needed to do to get it up the field, they'd get up the field. And then every single girl, once they got to the yellow goal line, it was the weirdest thing. They all stopped. They stopped. they didn't even kick the darn ball. They just like all the parents in the stand were like, what are you doing? And so I'm just sharing that story because I think it's so true of watching founders in their business do all of this work with the darn ball in their business, carrying it up the field. And then when it comes to make the sale abrupt halt. And they'll find any other distraction including you know pantone colors or we need to change the logo or you know we need to shift offices anything to keep them from making the sales so alice thank you for making the time to be here to get these founders get that ball and and uh, and carry it through over the uh, over the goal line there thanks tanya
1: you know that is probably one of the most perfect analogies i've heard about uh, businesses and business people and business owners. And typically founders, uh, unless you've been backed by Basils for like $40 million or something, founders in order to grow the business have got to go out there and find business. And that m- doesn't mean that <clears throat> that everyone is going to be successful, but what happens is everyone tries. And when they find it's difficult or hurts their feelings or they feel embarrassed or feel uncomfortable, what happens is that they stop because as human beings, most of us, the majority of us do almost anything we can do to avoid confrontation or feeling uncomfortable. And salespeople who are high agreeable, so if you had a continuum with agreeable, assertive, and aggressive, Salespeople who are the really, really nice guys are typically agreeable. Agreeable people will never take a risk with confrontation. So agreeable people will hint and suggest and say, oh, you know, so what do you think? And the client will say, oh, yeah, it sounds good. And to their sweet ears, they heard, I want to go with
0: you. And of
1: course, that's not the truth.
0: So Alice, are you suggesting that agreeable people do not make for good salespeople or can it be trained? Can we be trained? Cause I'm definitely agreeable. Can we be trained differently?
1: It can be trained. Uh, agreeable people typically land in the customer service role. Okay. And customer service is great. I mean, in fact, when I hear people say business development and you've we've known each other not long enough for you to know that I have to define things, right? So when someone says, oh, you know, I want, oh, could you please hire me someone who is good in business development? I say, well, the three components of business development are sales, marketing, and customer service. Which do you want? Without fail, they say sales. But because sales is uh, a much more proactive, uh, precision type game, as it were, um, and it's means that people have the belly up to the table and ask for what they want, which is an assertive trait, mm-hmm. they find it very
0: difficult to succeed in sales. Can I just wrap my head around a really important piece that you brought up with respect to the sales, marketing, and customer relationships? Is it, it because sales and marketing, it always gets lumped together, doesn't it? And a lot of people think that, see that as kind of one role, but is it true? True in your opinion, would marketing come first, which is kind of the, the the awareness and the brand, and then comes the sales, which is about the ask and getting the revenue in, and then comes the customer service or the inside sales. It's like now that we have the business, let's maintain this relationship, exceed expectations, and get them to come back regularly and often. With is that what you You're mean? Absolutely
1: no? right. And so when people say to me, "Oh, you know, I want to be, I'm, I'm a relationship seller." I always know that that person would be good in customer service, not sales. Mm. Uh, okay. Yeah. I know, myself, I know yeah. you're chuckling because I bet you you've had lots of clients that say, you know, I build relationships with my clients. And initially a client doesn't want a relationship with some stranger sitting across the desk. They want to know that that person has got the, the wits and the authority within them To offer a product or service that will increase the client's business. Yes. Clients aren't sitting there, God, I'm down a friend Mm -hmm. or two. I hope a salesman calls me today. (laughs) No, that doesn't
0: happen. No. Right.
1: So, most, so you can see then uh, it's the agreeable people who most likely want to build relationships. When I interview uh, salespeople for clients, 100% of the time, and I'm meaning 100% of the time, uh, until I get to the A-level salespeople, I ask what's your sales model and they always always say relationship selling. So then I go to the whiteboard and I draw three concentric circles, A, B, and C and say, well, what are the metrics for an A relationship or a B or a C? They have no idea. So imagine a doctor going into a surgery without any
0: tools that is or her disposal. So I just want to go back to you're going. You're at the whiteboard, and you map out. You you say, okay, what are the metrics for A, B, and C? What do you mean by metrics?
1: Well, what are the indicators for an A, B, or C relationship? Uh, For instance, um, anyone to have a, a, for instance, a client might say, uh, I need someone that stays in touch with our clients every single month, no matter no matter who they are, because we're finding out that a lot of clients are leaving us and they don't even give us 90 days notice. So clearly we're, there's a glitch. So I want, my, I want my customer service people to be able to do that. And so then I would say that's an A customer service, but not an not A salesperson. Okay. All right. So an A salesperson is someone who, and by the way, in the role of sales and business, about 10% of the salespeople are what I would call elite or A. And the reason is most of them show up without a process uh, in place. And it's because you can't, I I think I mentioned to you once before, I've searched all of the universities in North America looking for a concrete proactive sales course. There is none. Marketing,
0: because you can Um, get a degree in marketing. um, Yeah. Well, this is why we're doing the call yeah this is why we're doing the call so I am so for everybody listening in I just want to be able to clarify is the first thing that we kind of need to do now I know this call we're breaking down into three sections the planning and the preparation then we're going to talk about the the process and the pipeline and then last we're going to talk about follow-up and follow-through but before we get into the, the well I guess it is a part of planning so are you suggesting I'm trying to see it in my head when we're on the whiteboard are we kind of building this chart where we've got a, B, and C. A, B, and C represent the aggressive, the assertive, and the agreeable. And then no, A means that uh, A-level a salesperson, this is someone that is on point, on tra- over-target every single
1: time. A B-level salesperson gotcha. sometimes makes their budgets and don't. And the C-level salesperson, sometimes they're kept longer than the rest because they got charming personalities but never quite get anything done. Awesome. Okay. So now I, I've got that. That's great. And then so as a business owner... It's important, you said sometimes your your clients will start to hire a sales team. As a business owner, it's really, really vital that they understand and know the characteristics of A, B, and C salespeople. Yeah. C salespeople, and I don't mean that they're less valuable or anything, but they're more inclined to
0: customer service. Right, know where the fit, right?
1: Yeah, right. they don't do the right confronted. job. Whereas A, because a C salesperson sees an objection as a confrontation. Yes. Yeah. Hey, they might customer might say, "Well, you know, I dealt with you guys before, and I had a really bad experience." A C salesperson would, you know, feel really bad and hands start sweat and leave. And a salesperson salesperson said, "That was terrible. Can I have you know a full hour right now, or should I come back and let's do a case study of that and how where it got broken down and how I can help you fix that." I love it. Yeah. To dig in, right? Dig in. Dig in. B or C salespeople tend to be agreeable and they can't dig into discomfort, even if, especially if the
0: challenges the, the client's experience in is with their company. Right. Okay. Well, and I think this is so important, especially when we get into the second segment, because a lot of founders have to make the calls themselves, right? And they might be agreeable. So they're going to have to get over that hurdle if they want to get, revenue in. So we'll get to that in segment two, but I'm really curious, too, a big piece of um, making the sale is setting up the right framework, and it's all about the plan and the the preparation. And you've been generous enough to share with our founders who are watching or listening a, a worksheet that kind of walks them through all of that initial preparatory um, work that really needs to be done before we, Lord forbid, have to pick up the phone. And- <laughs> make that call so maybe can you walk us through best practices of really how to set ourselves up for success outside of the emotional conquering the fear piece
1: sure uh it's really interesting you laugh because but i have to say a quick segue i i coach oftentimes ceos of companies like right now i'm coaching an engineer and he's got a viable business but he wants to grow it so he can sell it and make a billion dollars and retire in malta (laughs) somewhere. Um, And so what I finally did for him is say, I know it's pandemic, but let's mask up. I'm I'm totally vaccinated anyway, but you mask up, I'll still mask up. For God's sake, I'll sit and make some calls for you. (laughs) I make the calls and he gets off the phone and said, that was really easy. It was the, it, like so when people are, most people don't know this, but the back of our brain is a little tiny gland the size of an almond, the size of an almond. It controls our life. It's called the amygdala, A-M-Y-G-D-A-L-A. I recommend researching it. And its purpose is to cause us to feel fear, doubt, and insecurity. Agreeable people listen to their amygdala. Mm-hmm. I tell mine, piss off, <laughs> right? Just, just get lost and don't come back. Or, hey, thank you for sharing amygdala, but not today. You don't get to rule me. <laughs> nice. Controlling it. Yeah, controlling yeah. it. And so um, I'll actually uh, email you a model because first we feel fear, which is the amygdala talking. And then we can immediately go to our frontal cortex and say, the fear is not real. It's an imagined thing, but I believe it to be real. So I'm going, to, I'm going to test and modify. I'm going to make that call anyway as badly, as badly as I know it's going to be. I'm going to make it anyway. And then I'm going to, I might even record myself. And then I'm going to listen to it. And I'm going to become competent at making those calls. I probably will still feel nervous. I probably will wish I had my, you know, my great aunt died and left me $5 billion. But I'm still going to make them. And so with every time, and then when you can bring yourself to make the calls in a dispassionate way, following a specific protocol, you have that protocol, don't you? Yes. Right. Got it. Make a specific protocol, you're going to get, Um. you're going to grow your business phenomenally. Beautiful. And yeah, you, know, you might be scared with lists the entire time you might even pee your pants. I don't care.
0: Do it. But Alice, I think you bring up a really good point there, and that is that, well, you're always bringing up good points, but to your point about, you know, um, uh, receiving an inheritance or being funded by Bezos, the, you know, I have found the journey of entrepreneurship to be this amazing gift of personal discovery and development. And when you are handed money, it can be one of the, 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 the gravest kind of, um, Injustices—is injustice a word? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, because you're not forced to get over those things that make you uncomfortable, so you don't grow as a person, right? And that and is it's all about you. When well, no, it was about somebody else, right? Yes, yeah. Get it? Yeah, get over yourself, right? It's, we have no idea what. That's yeah. probably an Alice line. I'm pretty sure that's analysis. I'm just get over yourself. It has nothing to do with you. You're not that. <laughs> well, it's not. You're not going to die.
1: Nobody's yeah. going to kill you. Yeah shame will only come from inside yeah for sure absolutely and that amygdala that little tiny gland wants us to be feel ashamed of ourselves because and feel bad about ourselves and to criticize ourselves and to be resentful towards ourselves, because in it wins right stays in in your basement apartment like working on excel spreadsheets or something and never go up there
0: Okay. Although I don't think a lot of founders are working on Excel spreadsheets, but probably product development, um, logo design, everything, but. And redesign and redesign. I digress. Okay. So planning, what do we need to have now that we understand our brain a little bit better, but when it comes to the actual kind of nuts and bolts of planning, I know in your worksheet, you talk about sales targets, um, a, a SWOT analysis, competitive analysis, and knowing your audience. So Sales targets, what I love about your work, too, is that you're not just about top line, you are also really about driving bottom line profit yes. and, and understanding that the money that comes in, once you get rid of your cost of goods, once you get your operating expenses set aside with a proper salary, you still have to profit at the end of the day. Um Any suggestions for for founders on on those targets? Is this going to be company-wide? Is it product-specific? I know that you've broken it down by territory or by person, but for a founder who's running a business that's under $10 what are some of the best practices with respect to those sales goals that you've seen founders kind of pull together?
1: Um,
0: Lots of times
1: founders want to grow. One of the issues, founders often want to grow, uh, faster than than the average and of course that makes sense because you want to you know get the hell out of drudgery time right <laughs> it has wings and it flies on its own um the, the the very first planning piece that i would i tell my clients and understand it's upside down is i say plan to fail i love that so pick some clients that are so far that you think out of your reach That you make that you probably fail
0: okay
1: because if you manage that process and then have the ability to forgive now to forgive yourself now here's my forgiveness forgiveness mantra and i put my hand not on my heart but on my left shoulder and i say ah don't worry you did the best you can for today and that was good enough that's it So 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 it's not like if there's anyone with a gun at your head you're the one holding it and that's not good so having self compassion for being one of, the, one of the few people in the world that can stand out and stand up for yourself and your product or your service is, is really vital. Um, my clients don't necessarily need to know how to sell themselves, but they're very, very vigilant to make sure that their sales team have got the right approach and, and are doing the right thing.
0: And just speaking a sales team, if you can, um, what are some of the best practices for compensation? I know we're talking about on the softer side of things and self-compassion, but for um, you know for, for feeling vested and for being financially motivated, do you see commission working well, a mix of a commission and a base or a draw against commission, not, not for founders, but if they're hiring a sales team? Um. Uh, if you're hiring a sales
1: team, you will only attract C-level salespeople if you don't offer
0: a base. Okay, sorry, you'll only attract C-level salespeople if you don't offer a base. When you're talking about C-level, you're, you're not talking about the, the chief salesperson, you're no, I'm talking, talking about that ABC that you were talking ABC. about. Okay, yeah. you will only attract C-level if you don't offer a base. Can you tell us why? Why is that?
1: Well, because A-level salespeople know their worth, okay. A-level salespeople, and by the way, you don't hire A-level salespeople um, just because they say they're a sale A-level salesperson. Okay, you need you need to have their permission, written permission, that you can go back to their previous own, owner, a <laughs> previous employer, and say, you know, because what. You know, an A-level salesperson for one customer, like a banking customer, is really different from an A-level salesperson selling mortgages. Absolutely. Different industry completely, right? If an industry, and a, I mean, a, the banker is going to be paid $100,000 a year, whether or not he or she closes any deals,
0: or they'll get shuffled from one bank to another. Okay. So I'm hearing, get proof, regardless of what people tell you, get proof. Get proof. But what are what about the flip side of the coin where people will say well if if a a salesperson a level salesperson knows their worth wouldn't they be motivated by a high-end commission like if they know they can make the sale wouldn't they want that payoff versus a base and commission
1: no because in my opinion i may be wrong but in my opinion only c-level companies hire people without base salary only so and why is that because they want to get launched they want to get sales in and so they think it's numbers right okay I was working with a client in Toronto helped him go through is and I I just I finally had to divest myself of the contract because um he you know he he expected them he expected top level people to show up and then sit there, spend a month and a half, two months, three months, learning the process, understanding culture, understanding the clients, because every client, every prospect has got a different set of expectations and objections, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I sold, I was an A level person at Xerox, does not mean say I was an A level person in printing, but but I brought my A level tools with me. Right. And it took, I don't know, a couple, two, three months for those for for the transition to happen. It's just like,
0: Okay, I'm wondering, Alice, as I, you know, as I'm processing that, I'm wondering if it if it might be because the C level is really about scarcity thinking. Right. And then scarcity thinking, it resonates on every level from the revenue that you generate in to the team that you have. Everyone's coming from this place of There's not enough, which then just kind of perpetuates the, the problem. Yeah. I mean,
1: um, I have a business partner in a property and her er thinking is entirely scarcity thinking. So what I do is I miss now, I do walk from do a roundup and just go do it myself. Okay. And so scarcity think, thinkers are, the funny part about it is they're, they're usually financially compromised
0: of course, right? Because it's got a mirror. Your reality mirrors what you're thinking about. Everybody Absolutely. knows this now. We've been hearing enough about that over the decades. We don't yeah. need to get into that. Okay. They,
1: they feel that that's their superpower is to be cheap and, right. you know. Right. But they, yep. And everyone thinks they've got a great. So the other point you asked is the the sales call, a fantastic sales call has got a structure to it just as a surgery, as a structure. Yep. Just as constructing a, um, a basement rental is a structure, uh, sales as a structure to it. And when people, one of, and I don't know what your folks are going to say, but for instance, it's only BC level salespeople that want to build relationships. A level salespeople don't. They want to add value and they want to add it fast and they want to understand the issues. Um, but can, can you imagine like, getting a call from a salesperson who walks in and to, and, and, and you give an appointment and they walk in and they start chatting about crap, that that's nothing to do with the business.
0: Yes. No. And we see, it, I see that a lot, right. In- a level
1: salespeople will walk in and say, good morning, Tanya. Thanks so much for meeting with me. As I understand that your business has this and this and the current to current industry is, uh, uh, issues right now in the marketplace are this and this and I'd like to talk to you about how to you know prevent them before they even happen yeah okay. nailed it credibility done. nailed it done none of this oh I'm down a few your day. day? how yeah. was your day <sighs> my ex-husband is married to someone who's even younger than me and I was younger than him and, <laughs> and he was telling me a while ago that someone came in and saw a picture of his wife and being the relationship seller he asked if he only had one child <laughs> and he said no that's my wife <laughs> and I said so how did they say I said how did he save the day and he says he didn't save anything but if he had leaned over the desk and says hey man high five <laughs> he would have nailed it but
0: Crazy. Well, I think that's right up there with don't ask a woman if she's pregnant, right? There's just some okay. sensitivities that until you really know the person. Um, so relationship I, builders show up nervous, right? Okay, so I want to get, I'll, I'll come back to relationship because um, you're, you're making some really important comments there that I, I want to dig into a little bit. But let's talk about that on the, the phone call piece. Just coming back again to this preparation that you talked about in the framework. So. A, you know, potentially clarification on what is an A, B, C level salesperson? What are the criteria and the matrix there? We talked about um, metrics, sorry. We talked about um, sales targets, knowing exactly what needs to be sold and, and how much of it needs to be sold. So there's clarity around what those goals need uh, to be. We talked a little bit about how to motivate them on uh, commissions and rates. Um, Quickly with the strengths or with a a SWOT analysis. So strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Strengths and weaknesses for all the founders that aren't exactly sure where we're going with this. Uh, Strengths and weaknesses are typically internal. Opportunities and threats are typically external. Are you suggesting- That
1: sales team is very, very internal is a threat
0: to the business and it's internal too. Okay, so you're, so a bad sales team is a threat. So although it's internal, uh, it is a threat to the business. So you're seeing that as external, like an mm-hmm. external piece. Um, When we're doing this, so ideally this is done in a business plan, right? Where we're doing a a, a SWOT analysis, but are you recommending a SWOT analysis for each product being sold? Are you recommending a SWOT analysis for the individual making the call as well, knowing what their strengths and weaknesses, opportunities, and threats are? What's your recommendation there? Is that too granular? Well, no, it's the problem. The
1: problem with that is that if the founder or the company owner don't have uh, an understanding of, the appropriate sales call process, right? Um, I mean, if there's one thing they should do is get some competitive advantage statements. So instead of showing up and making nice and building a friend, if they said, "I'll just, I'll, I'll just use one from one of my clients right now." Um, it's a client in Winnipeg, and he repairs. RVs. And so if, if someone calls in for an RV repair and they don't have any of those fenders, let's say fender skirts in stock, he will go and he will make a mold and go through all the business of making a mold for one fender skirt. So with many of the suppliers, you know, they'll sell to the RV retailers and that's where they go. And then you know, and but then it's complicated and so <clears> on, <throat> takes time. So his competitive advantage is if one of our RV clients call us for a product, we have a 99% chance of having it. If we don't, we will take a mold of your product at no cost to you, make it and send you your product in three days or less.
0: Okay. I, I hear that honestly. I see amazing customer service, but to me my little radar is going off on pricing. And if well, they are
1: the, the they know what the pricing is cuz they paid for they can call their dealership. And by the way, the good question, the pricing is, is not because it's a brilliant way that he's built his business because His thought was wait, if one person has this particular model of RV, then there's got to be hundreds of others with that model. Okay. So when they call, so now the next time when he's built that model for the fender skirt, the next time someone calls them, they say, Yeah, we'll ship that into you in 24 hours.
0: Okay. Yeah. I I would, yeah, on that. I'm just going back to profit again. And this is where I think a lot of founders would. Um, they'll see that as customer service. But then I, I would I would suggest to them now get on the phone with any RV that has any owner who has that RV model and tell them that you can do their fender skirts, right? Go sell that mold note that now versus it just sitting in inventory you waiting for a sure. call, them, right? Sure, what, but what
1: happens is that he actually doesn't have to do that because as soon, sorry, someone wants to die, goes a place of will. he doesn't have have to do that because uh is business during the pandemic increased by 46 percent okay well that's that well yes i mean for sure and he works only with the rvs typically with the rvs that are off warranty yeah and so word has spread i imagine around a campground someone looking at fender and say hey your fender is broke yeah well call icon right Right. So, but that, but that's a competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if we don't have your fender stock, fender guard in stock or not. I will take a mold of it at no charge to you. And I'll have that shipped out to you in a month because the value to my client is now he's got another mold made. So the next time they ca- someone calls with the same model, done. Done. Okay. All right. So... so that's a competitive advantage. And if your clients, if you cannot express a competitive advantage with your numbers and up to your clients, you're not probably not going to get the cold call
0: appointment. Okay. And I love that. And again, thank you for sharing that worksheet, because in the worksheet that people can download founders, you can download it, it's in the notes. Um, It actually walks people through it, walks a founder through understanding their competitive advantage. And again, in a beautiful way, that isn't necessarily about putting the competition down, but it's about promoting what your assets are, right? So do it with some grace. And And then the client hears that, and they're not sitting there thinking, oh, a
1: sales gun is going to call me today. Uh, and which is nice because I'm I'm lonely. They're right. not going to think, you know, if a, sol- a person if a salesman calls me today selling me fender skirts, uh, I'm going to listen or selling me whatever I'm going to listen, right? Because
0: yeah. I want I want my business to succeed. Perfect. Okay, so we've got sales goals. We've talked about knowing your competitive advantage, knowing your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Um, really understanding the competition and how you're different from them, and are you doing the sirens? I guess two people died. What? Your house isn't on fire, right? You're good? You're am oh, fine. <laughs> um, and so last piece, and I think this is probably uh, one of the most important parts of the call, but just knowing your audience. So when you're working with a salesperson and you're getting them to better understand who it is that they're about to call and speak to, what are the top uh, pieces of information that you really want your salespeople to understand about their audience before they pick up the phone?
1: Um, this is a do as I say, not as I do, right?
0: <laughs> we can put that in the
1: notes. I just need, I just need, well, I, I need to know their name and their phone number and I will have reviewed their website. And okay. the reason is because every single person I talk about wish they had more sales. Okay. So So when I say my competitive advantage, I work with CEOs to help implement processes and systems and uh, training so that they scale the marketplace and outdo their competition every single
0: time. So you don't get into understanding a customer's pain point, what it is that you're solving, how your product or service solves that problem?
1: Sure. But if I know they're like, see, here's the deal. You can't ask more than three painful questions because people get overwhelmed. Okay. So So on the call, you can't ask them. Okay. Well, you can't, like, if, when I show up, I ask, you know, how are you positioned with your competition? Okay. And there's another one. How many, how many clients uh, give you 90 days notice that they're going to take their business to your competition? Okay. And then I say, could you, without naming names, Could you give me a, could we go through a profile of your salesperson as it exists now? And based on my questions, you'll know, you yourself will know exactly which ones are supporting you or which ones you are supporting.
0: Okay. But again, so even, but when you have a good salesperson, when that person is in the company, they're not doing any due diligence on understanding their audience better before they pick up the phone. Other than looking at their website. Yep. Yeah. And you know why
1: I recommend that? Because so many people are getting in
0: salespeople get involved with analysis paralysis. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. You're right. You're go- They're going to use it as a crutch and an excuse to not have all the information. And then they won't make the call. Right. I love but, that. But the
1: reason is, is that they want don't want to feel foolish. Right. So they'll be hours again. researching
0: so yeah. that it we be asked a question. God knows they should never say, I don't, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. You've nailed it there, Alice. Absolutely. It's that fear of of not being properly prepared where I think this first call isn't about being prepared at all, right? It's about asking tons of questions, but we'll get it. I go on a
1: call and I go on a call and I say, and I say, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not a salesperson that shows up and throws up. Meaning someone talks four minutes out of five, which by the way, people who are focused on relationship selling, uh, don't hate me, but honest, you want to, but clients did not wake up saying I'm down a friend or two. I hope a salesman calls me. Yeah. No, they woke up with the problem in their business that they really want a solution for.
0: Love it. Okay. Alice, let's wrap up part one here, because I actually really want to get into the sales call. piece. I think a lot of founders are going to want to dive in now, now that they kind of better understand how to get themselves framed up. And I really appreciate this whole idea of, um, analysis paralysis, don't prepare. This goes against everything that I have been taught about understanding your audience and showing up powerfully for them. So it's a, it's a very different approach. And I'm really curious to see how this now plays out in the call. So for all the founders out there, you're gonna to wanna to tune in for part two where we're gonna start talking about the actual making the call. We're gonna talk about the process of the call in the pipeline. And just to take a minute here, and again, thanks our, uh, a huge thanks to our champs at Community Future Sunrise they are always showing up powerfully for for founders and helping them build their business and nail the numbers. So thanks for all that you do. Alice, thanks for all that you do. We're going to see you back in the lab for part two. Okay, thanks. All right. All right, welcome back founders to, for part two of the Gab Lab. We are joined by Alice Wheaton. She's a salesperson extraordinaire, and I've had the good fortune of uh, seeing Alice in action firsthand. And quite honestly, incredible uh, to see her in, uh, in action and what she's able to do without any preparation and making that call and, and landing, that, uh, landing that next step. So welcome back to the Gab Lab, Alice. Thanks, Tanya. Okay, this section is really all about making the call. It is about <laughs> the call and the pipeline and, and, and the fear. Before we get into the call, I actually just want to ask, because I know a lot of founders are going to find any workaround to avoid having to make the call, they'll oh I'll send an email oh I'll do a direct message oh I'll you know they'll they'll find every excuse in the book or every other method possible. You're a big fan of a phone call as a first point of connection in business to business sales. Can you talk a little bit about why why it's the call and why you're just your your do I say hellbank Can I say that uh, on on using that as your method? That's a great question. Actually, I've never pondered that before. But um, remember
1: earlier, I talked about agreeable, assertive and aggressive. Yes. So uh, making a call is assertive. Even though at the moment, the person may feel terrified and feel feared out and insecurity. um, I, I, (laughs) I sometimes tell people that I'm actually not a sales trainer, I'm a FUD buster. And they say, what's a FUD buster? And I say, well, I'll fear uncertainty and doubt. Nice. I make them them go away in in my clients. So um, what happens is um, when, when we pick up the phone and the other person picks up the phone, we're actually interacting as strangers. We know what we're about, but our prospects, so if I called you today, Tanya, and we didn't know each other, it would be imperative for me to immediately say, good morning, Tanya. My name is Alice Wheaton, and we've never met, and the reason I'm calling. And you might wonder, well, why is it imperative to say that? It's because people think, who is she? What did she want? What does she want? What does she get my name? Mm -hmm. So when we when we preempt the client from having a negative thought process, who the hell is this? Where'd you get my name? What does she want from me? Right. When we preempt that and answer it, good morning, Tanya. And I use a pause between almost every word. Because when you pause and talk slowly, you appear to be an A-level salesperson up front. A C level salesperson would talk non- would talk four minutes out of five. And they're talking not because they're ignorant they're talking as a way of camouflaging their fear. But in fact, they're actually
0: broadcasting their fear. And to your point earlier too, it's, it's, um, it's, it's superficial conversation, right? How are you doing today? What's the weather like there? How are you, it's questions that you really just don't care about the answer and certainly isn't, dare I say it, building a relationship. (laughs) And then
1: what happened? Well, I prefer, you know, I, as a, I would consider being a builder, but build credibility. Okay. You didn't walk up today and I didn't walk up today thinking we're down a friend. And I want a relationship with the first salesman that calls me. Okay. So So I would say build credibility and that's what having your, so when you say good morning, Tanya, this is Alice Wheaton and we've never met. And the reason I'm calling is that I understand you're the person ultimately in charge of uh, your con- your company's stability uh, profitability and recognition as a, a high status in the marketplace am i out to lunch or is someone spreading the rumor <laughs> <laughs> and then i shut up okay you now that person has got a lot to think about because if they're not going to hang up the phone because they're thinking well, what about what about this what about that she? why did you get my name right they're not thinking which get my name, because I've already said I don't know you. We've never met, but the reason I'm calling.
0: So if we go back to uh, if we go back to why a phone call, I'm hearing it is because it builds credibility. It positions you as being confident and believing in your product or service enough that you can get on the phone to start off with. Yes. And then as we lead into kind of this foundation of making the call, I'm hearing give your name. Hello, my name is Tanya Woods Richardson. Where you got this person's information from. And, from and if the- not, you say, and we've never met. And we've never met. And so and so then you don't need to, to say, like, oh, and I, I I grabbed your contact information off of LinkedIn, or I saw you in a association list. No, just don't even bother. Okay, we've mm-hmm. never met. And then you talked about the reason for my call. So is, is the reason about are you getting to the ask right away or when you say the reason, is it about finding finding reasons why they have been chosen for you to connect with? I see that your company does ABC or I see that you have done this or that you've been recognized for this or that you have a need for this. Are you clarifying why you've chosen to call them or are you putting I'm the ask in? My,
1: my name is Alice Wheaton, we've never met. And the reason I'm calling is that I understand as CEO of your organization, if you don't have a clear line of sight between you and your bottom line, most businesses are compromised. And I'd like to talk, share with you how I help businesses. First of all, understand manage their
0: top line and then grow it exponentially. Okay. So that is, I'm hearing in there, what I'm hearing is a little bit of a pain point. The pain That's point right. for businesses as that, like, like the ones that you're calling. Yeah. So understanding
1: that. So so your salespeople need to understand the pain point of the client. How can your salesperson improve the credibility, the viability, the financial stability, and the ease of operations within your company?
0: Okay. So maybe that does go back to the framework, right? Understanding that audience and what that pain point is, right? But when I
1: call, I don't understand. I don't, really know their pain points okay so the I industry understand. point yes the in industry. okay every company wants to grow and flourish and in order to do you cannot grow and flourish without more sales it's as simple as that
0: Okay, okay, so that I that I get now for everybody else, it's going to be different because maybe their their value proposition isn't making sales calls, but understanding how their product or service solves an industry pain point, what the general industry pain point is. And then hello, my name is. We've never met or where you got the name and the industry is going through this. Here's how we tend to help. And is this something sorry, and then the next lead in is this something I have
1: like to do? if it's okay with you set an hour and not like none of this uh, 10 minute time. So if clients say to me, Oh, well, I've got 20 minutes and I said, Oh, I'm so sorry. There's no way that I could understand your company and make some really good recommendations for you in 20 minutes. And then I shut up.
0: Okay. Okay. So what I would like to do is you're recommending an hour
1: what I'd like to do is set an hour with you so that we could sit down and understand your position within the industry and how now I can help you get more leads and turn them into business.
0: Okay. So what what I think is so sorry, where my head went there is again, I think that it because you mentioned it, it challenges what the typical norm is where people are like, oh, could I get five or ten minutes of your time?
1: Um, that would be right?
0: C-level salespeople. C-level
1: salesperson. Okay. Then they'll show up in that 10 minutes and talk four minutes out of five. Right. Because they've, they've only got 10 minutes. So they've got to build that relationship, which is, <laughs> Jesus. <that's> just... <laughs> Not one CEO
0: woke up today, down a friend and wanted a salesperson to call. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this is, so, and I think to that point, you're probably really kind of qualifying That call then too, right? If they can invest an hour with you to work on their business together for a free hour, then the likelihood that they're going to become a client. And if they quibble and say, oh, I don't have,
1: if they quibble, I say, you know what? It doesn't have to be today or even tomorrow, but I really need an hour of your time because I guarantee you, I'm not gonna walk away
0: until you've got three
1: brand new ideas that you can implement right away and they'll, they'll be free.
0: I, okay. I, okay. So, making the ask, but providing the carrot at the end, like what they're going to get out of that call. That particular point, three free tips that will have a big impact on their business. Right. Whether or not we okay. do business together, you'll get like. Okay. okay. I love that. So Could now, you know, can I? You- Someone might say, "Well,
1: why would you do training? Because the CEO is not going to be doing the training." Right. I'm. I. I would share everything. In fact, I don't. I don't leave any meeting without giving them a copy of all my books and processes and everything. And someone said, so "Would you? You just give them too much away?" No, I'm giving things away that they're not ever going to implement because they don't have the skills.
0: Oh, so valuable. What is that with them? So, um, sorry, I'm taking so many notes because there's so many like that. There's there's a couple of different where uh, avenues I want to go down. First avenue. Uh, it sounds like Alice. I'm just I'm just showing you something.
1: that oh. I'm driving off to a client today. <laughs> this is a this client is struggling with his value proposition. So I've got a book called Value Proposition Design. So I'm so I'm I've got great information throughout both books. Enjoy, and I won't need them for a couple of months or more. Alice. Now I'm I'm and these books, by the way, were like 150 each. No, 42 Canadian. Sorry and forty one ninety five Canadian. So they're not cheap books. Uh, so I'm dropping them off and
0: I may never see them again, but I probably will along with a deal. I love it. So that to me, that is a practice that just speaks to value add. It speaks to really showing up personally for that client, right? It's not cookie cutter. It's not boilerplate. It's you're important to me which I'm thinking might be C-level because I'm thinking it's about building relationships, but to your point, it's building credibility.
1: It's credibility. I could not care. Can I say a small bad word? I don't give a rat's ass about having a relationship with any of my clients. We've heard worse. We've heard worse. Okay. I care that my clients succeed. When I work with a client, I am more committed sometimes. To their success. Well, remember that one client we both work with and I would call the CEO and beg him to let me come in and work? Yeah,
0: yeah. Please, please, in yeah. my own way, just let me come in and work, like, yeah. Yeah, okay, that to me, it's coming back to, again, the credibility because you wanna see, the, see them succeed, mm-hmm. which also, it comes back to... Uh, I, I don't, do I say fear, but sometimes there's this resistance I find for founders and, and please weigh in on this, that they feel like they're selling something and trying to get them to change their mindset about you're offering a solution. Like you're helping them to X, Y, Z, like get out of the sales. It's not about you, but make it about them and what you're there to do for them. Absolutely. I think being a
1: critical care nurse was really valuable to me. Because when I was working with a, a patient, um, I mean, I was passionately committed to them being able to take that first step after surgery, you know, to have that go to the bathroom for the first time, you know, being able to stay awake long enough for um, visit with a loved one. Like those are outcomes in nursing. And so it's the same thing. There's outcomes in sales. And so I, you can't and the more you passionately care and i would you drive quotation mark your customers towards excellence the more referrals you have i mean i've been in this business 30 years and i always i'm always getting referrals
0: and well and i know you're you're awesome at what you do again i've i've witnessed you firsthand and maybe we'll we'll get into a story in a little bit but Um, I'm curious, when you talk about the sales or when you talk about the call, you're always talking about speaking with the decision maker. I know some founders will try to work their way up and speak to an influencer first or a gatekeeper. What are your thoughts on just going right to the top and how to get that that decision maker on the phone versus the influencer?
1: That's a great question. So here's what happens is that When you work with a CEO, they can make a decision just on a handshake. When you're talking to anyone else, an assistant or another executive, they can't say yes based on a handshake. They can say no. And then they then have to take your proposal, let's say to the boardroom. You're taking that, they take the decision to the boardroom and they pass it along and there's nine items on agenda. And uh, your proposal might be number seven. And by now they're exhausted, time's up. And, and the guy slaps their proposal. Oh, yeah. Well, this is what Tom from XYZ Company said. You know, have a look at it and tell me what you think. No selling. Nobody can sell as well as you can. Right. Not going to work. So just right to the top. Uh, way to the person who owns, who's got the, the financial responsibility for the success of this, you know, let's say it's a product, let's say you want to sell something on the production floor then you must talk to the vice president of production but say to them uh, you know i have a coaching pro- program for uh, people who work in a production arena and, and it's true that most product most companies like yours have exemplar employees but there's always a few laggards who could do do more and be more and have more and those are the people i love to work with you know if you're willing to invest say uh, eight weeks of coaching uh you know i can guarantee with 88 accuracy that they will
0: up level themselves and become a fine performer and but here then on this first call this too is still where we jump back like the the ask in between is just one hour of your time i'll give you three tips to make them better performers but the ask at the end of that call will be to
1: But you need to have a, you need to have something of a value, like just give me, because remember whining to your mom or dad for a car or whatever, come on, just give me the car one more time. So it's a bit like that. And really, look, give me, just give me half three quarters of our time. I'm going to do two case studies of production uh, environments I worked in where I was able to take the lagers, the ones that was holding the production up and and turn their performance around so
0: that they became uh, a top performer. You know, how could you say no to that? Okay. And how do you, what are your recommendations on getting past a gatekeeper so you can actually get to the decision maker? Um, I know founders are gonna ask that. I don't
1: call gatekeepers.
0: But if you're calling calling a vice president, typically you're not gonna get on the phone with them. Let's say I'm calling you.
1: Yeah. Hi Tanya, this is Alice Wheaton. We've never met. And the reason I'm calling is I need to speak with Tom Smith today. He's expecting my call. And he will have been expecting my call because I probably would have sent him an email, personal email, saying, um, "This is a little bit, you know, a little bit what I do, and I'm going to call Friday morning at 10 a.m."
0: Okay, so there's a little uh, cheat sheet right there. Is is send the email, get that out there, let them know that you're going that you're going to be calling, and then when you speak to the gatekeeper, let them know that X Y Z person, individual, Mr. Or Mrs. Jones, whoever it is, is expecting to call. Okay, powerful. All right. Last question, just on this, on this initial, I mean, and,
1: and you know, most times people look for complicated solutions. Yes. It's simple.
0: Yes. Well, and maybe the complication stems from to your point, you know, the fear, right? Any, uh, any kind of workaround that? Yeah. Um, voicemails. What is your stand on leaving a voicemail? Or if he's not available right now? Would you like to go to voicemail?
1: Um, I, if I do lose the fit, use a voice message, and I don't very often, I would do it with humor. Shall I tell you what it is? Go for it. Yes, please. Tanya, this is Alice Wheaton. We've never met. Given that this is a voice message, I know the chances of me being in voicemail jail is pretty high, but if you have it in you, can you please let me be the one to avoid your jail this week and give me a call back? Okay.
0: Nice nice well I, you know and just speaking about humor i think this is where um again <laughs> watching you in, it's just true right i know but you're this is where you uh, watching you in action this is where you tend to i'm gonna you build credibility you do build the relationship i've watched you and this is where i'm going to inject this story where you know working with this client that we both had you were going from a list you you called all the salespeople in so every single salesperson, we're sitting around a table. There's 10 people, 10 salespeople there. Everyone was supposed to bring their list. Everyone's scared, you know what, to actually make a call. Alice, founders, Alice actually just says, give me the darn list. I'll show you how it's done. No research whatsoever. She gets on the phone. She starts going through the list. But there's one call in particular really stands out to book, me. The hormone call? Well, the, the hormone call, but also the wrong number. Do you remember the wrong number? So going through a list, hi, is Joe there, please? I'm sorry, there's no Joe here. And Alice goes, okay, my mistake, you know, apologies. And then hangs up the phone. And then you call back, you realize that, oh, it wasn't Joe, it was Tom. (laughs) You were supposed to. So Alice gets right back on the phone and says, hey, Tom, you know what? I had the wrong number. I actually did mean to speak to you. You are who I want to speak to. My name is Alice. We've never met the reason for my call. So, and from that, Alice, just the humor, I, cause you were on speakerphone too. He laughed, you laughed, you had a good joke about it. You were talking about the fact you were going from a list, you know, all these faux pas that, you know, usually we just, we avoid, but you just showed up and were just your authentic self and, added humor to the mix and you ended up having, you know, these weren't 30 second calls. You ended up having great conversations with these people. And at the end of five, 10, 15 minutes, Hey, you know what, would you be open to meeting, you know, Joe from this company? He just wants to show you how you can optimize your, you know, your, 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 your output from your field. Would that be okay with you? And you would get it every single time you would get the meeting.
1: I remember I don't, and your audience might be interested in this. I really didn't understand uh, the uh, I didn't understand the technology and the one of the people I was talking to said "Well, can you explain it to me I says well think about it like this as women's hormones if we don't have them right we're not going to be prolific
0: and it's the same thing with your soil. Oh so yes we were talking about agriculture and all the inputs and um Yeah, and hormones were not a part of the inputs into this. <laughs> but Alice was struggling. So right, you, and, still, you, you still got, got the meeting. Yeah, but we do still got the meeting. The meeting. <laughs> oh, and so again, I know we're, we're talking a story and, and people listening are like, I don't, anyways, I, I just want to share with you that in that situation, you can imagine these 10 salespeople who know everything about agronomy. These they are agronomists. Are going. What is she talking about? And they're kicking each other under the table, and they're trying not to laugh because we're on speakerphone, and um, and and they're, they're getting an appointments set for them, <laughs> so they're happy. And the, disbelief though, when Alice would get the meeting at the end of the call, it'd be like, how did she do that with everything that went wrong in that call? Wrong. But the wrongs, actually, to your point, Alice, those failures, perceived failures, that's what actually built it. That's what built the authenticity in that Mm -hmm. conversation. And it made them feel like you weren't a salesperson. You were really there to connect with them and to be a service, to provide a value that... and obviously you, you weren't the salesperson, but to let them know that this technology really does do wonders, right? It was it was incredible to, to watch that in action. So that was definitely a segue, but that one authenticity. Of my, one of my favorite fun days. Oh, so <laughs> important, so, so important. Okay, so, so kind of, yeah, go ahead.
1: To understand that it, uh, it's, that typically when something goes wrong, it doesn't work. Salespeople get off the phone, it's like they smack themselves on the head and said, who do I think I am? What was I thinking? I'm never going to do this again. Um, so having a sense of humor about yourself, you know, we all laughed at me that day and I still
0: hear the tell the tale. You laughed at yourself, too, yeah. right? Like that was that was the fun. And I think it's the humor and and the the um, the 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 honesty. The scale too. And the lightness, yes. And don't be afraid to fail, right? It kind of reminds me again of my, my girls' soccer games. like your, And Gretzky's famous quote, you're going to miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? So, um, And I know you're, you're famous for saying this. You're not going to get a yes on every single call. So right. the more often you get your nose, the closer you are to, to getting a yes, right? So Although I've always seen you get the yes. I, again, this is why I find your work just absolutely incredible because you can fail, fail forward, fail often, you know, and, and you you still get the meeting at the end of it all. Like it's, it's brilliant to watch. Okay. The other little piece that I just want to take us through here. So we're making the call. We're speaking to the decision maker. We put in that ask to have an hour long conversation to learn more about them. And at the end to provide a, B and C of value. So the, the call becomes a, you know, it's not a sales call. It's a, here's what I need to learn from you. And here's what I can give you in exchange. So there's a carrot at the end of it in that second call is there do you follow questions that you want to ask of them are these like qualifying the client or what does that call look like for you when you're making it oh that's that's a great
1: um idea so um i don't know if you have this model but i'll make a note to send it to you anyway so and share it with your entire team it's the one with the four quadrants okay you have to send it yeah the thing about sales especially like bnc salespeople, if they don't have a concrete process And we laugh about relationship selling, but, uh, you know, I always ask them, tell me what your process is. Then if you're a relationship builder, what are your secret sauces? And they have no idea. Mm -hmm. Okay. I show up, I'm friendly, I make nice, I ask them questions about their family, their vacations, their sports, and, you know, those, you know, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, or Winnipeg, you know, Jets, you know, I ask them those questions. And, a level clients don't they're so busy they don't want to be talking about rhetoric your c level on on entry level person uh might be because they
0: because they haven't moved up the chain yet so what what do the quadrants do what are you looking for in the quadrants? the
1: quadrants the four quadrants i look at i ask my client and i i'll send this to you I asked my questions. So there's four quadrants in a business. There's top line, production, uh, people, and bottom line. And so there's only three sources of business, Uh, business from new clients, business from past clients, and business from uh, existing clients. So you've got, so how do you get new clients? So I'll ask the CEOs, tell me your protocol, your process, and your measures to get bring on a level clients and they then look at me cross-eyed because they themselves have not considered categorizing their clients as a b or c they might say our top client but you know and so what are the what's what is so what is your process for concretely consistently getting a, a new clients oh we don't have a process so uh, what about the past clients how do you get them back and would you agree that they're deserters or are they deserted oh they're always deserted Mm. why well because of our customers you know care is not good or whatever and that's okay so your existing clients how long does it take you to know that one of your existing clients uh has moved to the competition and Chances are, they say we never know. I was working with an engineering firm recently, and I said, Have you ever driven by a project and seen a billboard announcing its arrival soon with another engineer's name? And you were sure it was your job. And he said, Yes, too many times. And it's heartbreaking and sickening. At mm, mm. <coughs> Pardon me. And so, what happens is that most people get their clients. And then they go about getting new clients and they forget. And so what happened when 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 we don't understand that your top line consists of getting new clients, keeping your clients, and getting the old ones back. That's the only three things you can do with your top line.
0: Okay. And so when you're when you've got this, sorry, when you've got the quadrant, then your the top line quadrant. No, these quadrants are broken down into those categories, and you're asking, okay. No, into four categories: top line, which is yep. new
1: business from new clients, yep. new business from existing clients, and getting your old
0: clients back. Okay, and so, but these four categories are these questions. These are questions that you're asking the prospect in the second call, going through these quadrants. Okay, I ask first call.
1: Okay. And they don't get the second call unless there's in interest right so but sorry
0: up. the second sorry the first call is just hi my name is alice we've never met blah blah, blah, blah. second call,
1: call the second call is either a meeting or a zoom and is the hour
0: and this yeah. is where you're asking the questions yeah. yeah okay um and so you go in with the quadrant and the quadrant then informs or or um it inspires the questions that you ask of that founder that will okay but
1: every problem in a company exists by a top because of the top line so if and so now we go to production and the three issues there are people are, are the <clears throat> quality efficiency and communication. Okay. Personally, I never ask about that. Okay. Because that's not my business. But I but I outline. But my client <clears throat> flipboard, I they see the four quadrants. Yeah. And I say so. So what would happen if we circle back to the top line and show you how to bring in new clients? What would happen to your exist to your business then? So the bottom left quadrant is the people and their three attributes: there's their knowledge, skills, and attitude. Well, if you don't have a robust top line, you've got to be you have to settle for the C or B level, the B or C level uh, employees because you can't afford them.
0: So, but how do we take this then, Alice? I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I know you're talking about selling sales as a service. And for many founders out there that are selling a service, it is going to potentially tie into the bottom line, especially if you're in consulting. But what if you're selling something like, if you're still in B2B, and I I have this example front of mind, but you're selling cheerleading outfits, Sure,
1: but then so that would be in in the that's that's not your top line quadrant. That's in your production quadrant. Okay, gotcha. If, if, if they're selling fabric to somebody who makes cheerleading outfits, then that's in the production line. They want to know. So their perfections, like there's someone in Winnipeg I work with, and she's a production, um, not enforcer, but she improves processes. And okay, and, yep, right. So she works with her clients and she uses all these tools. She works with her clients to increase the efficiency and quality and communication within the production department. That's all she does.
0: Got it. Got it. So, okay. So that's a game changer. You so needed to talk to. Yeah. the CEO. Gotcha. Or, yeah, or, or C-suite somewhere, right? Operations, whatever that looks like. So knowing the client, knowing what it is that you're selling and knowing how your product or service, what quadrant it's going to most impact and going in then with those questions based on that quadrant. Um, and then it sounds like at the end of asking the questions, you're going to understand their pain points. You're going to be able to understand how your product or solution addresses those pain points. And then I know this is where you talked about also leaving them with something of value now. So how do you weave in those carrots that you talked about earlier? Is it through the call? Is it at the end?
1: Well, I might say to the, if I'm in a meeting with the vice president of production, I would say, and they've said communication is the biggest issue. I would say, so do you particularly notice uh, a miscommunication if someone's made a mistake and they want to cover it up? Do you notice the type of communication where there's lots of gossiping around your employees, and work is not getting done because there's a bunch of little cliques? Yeah, that happens all the time. Okay, so can we can we imagine somehow a floor where everyone does their job, they're fluent in their interactions, and nobody's picking on anybody or criticizing anybody? Can you imagine that? Yes, but I can't. I says. Well, you know, I don't want to leave here today. I don't know if we'll ever work together, but I don't want to leave here today without offering up one pivotal uh, solution. Can I do that? Yeah. I said, you know, I would, in in my work, I have found that gossip amongst employees is actually like stabbing someone in the back with an invisible knife. And... I did this with the city of Airdrie, uh, like as an aside. And what we, what everyone did was agree to sign a a contract with each other that if they were going to, if they were going to gossip about someone else, they would bring that person in the room so that they could gossip about them while they're there.
0: Well, I'm sure that just shut down the whole gossip situation right there and then. But it
1: it. makes sense, right? Because gossipers only talk about people who are not in the room right okay which is cowardly all okay. right and so and so the whole process it took a while for the production team to to get it um but because gossipers it's a form of um you know what, what's the term today What everyone was picked on bullying bullying it's a form of bullying right Yeah. although yeah. It, it's Passive bullying, and they get to look righteous
0: and make the other person look bad. So, so then, so in this process, then that was the that was the piece of advice that you offered up as a solution is that in this event, uh, in this situation, here's what we recommend. You know, this is what worked for this client. You might want to initiate or implement this. And then I developed some tools to measure okay. the level of gossip. Yeah. Okay. Really sneaky tool uh,
1: to measure the level of gossip. And then I then I delivered um, m- my results, not naming anyone. And so then we
0: went head up and s- head ahead and set up the program. Awesome. And so so then yeah, so get the business as a result of giving that solution. So it, it, nothing that, something they hadn't thought about before. Right, right, right. So yeah, just the innovation there behind um, behind those solutions. So what is your ask after you, so after we've gone through the quadrants, after you've given them one piece of um, uh, one solution or, you know, one to three carrots, whatever that value is. And to your point, before you're offering the value, you said we might never work together, but I want to leave this call with X, Y, Z. Um, if they don't start to kind of nibble on that carrot and want more information, boom, what, boom. Is your, what is your ask? Do you have another ask? Like, what is the ask at the end of that second call?
1: My, my ask then is, is to say, um, so Tanya, I don't know about you, but I've kind of made up a number that uh, if we were to turn around your sales team, that you'd be looking at an extra $10 million to your top line. Um, I mean, is that a number you could get your head around? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, when would you like to start?
0: Okay. Okay, so again, for companies where it is top line driven, that's easy to do. But if it's so, for example, if we go back to the cheerleading outfit, and it's not about top line, and it's about production now in that quadrant,
1: but it ultimately is about top line
0: or bottom, right? But they're saving. Yeah. So so your
1: your top line, your bottom line is balanced by your top line. Okay. If
0: you've got off the bottom top line, where you've got no revenue, well, your bottom line. Right. Right. So what would, and I don't want to put you on the spot. If something comes to mind, what would you suggest again, cheerleading outfit and you go through the solution, here's one possible, or here's a carrot for you. Here's a value add. How would you end that call with an ask? I've been, you know, roughly I've been thinking about what these outfits could do for your company. Sorry. I I
1: I would say, so it sounds to me that you want to, what you're sponsoring this baseball team. And, you want, and so you want them to be energized and perform better. And to that end, you've decided to add a cheerleading team. Um, but it's best to brand your cheerleaders to the same colors and theme of the players. And so, um, you know, what do you think that would add to you? What would you think it would add to you in terms of recognition in the, in the community, uh, your reputation, your status and, you know, attracting new customers. What do you think? What do you think any of that? So what, by making that list, I'm actually, it sounds like I'm asking them a question, but really when I'm saying it's going to brand your company,
0: you right. Yes. So you go through the solutions again, you reiterate the solution, you ask the client, what do you think that would do for you? What would that do for your company to have all those solutions in place? They then have to articulate. And then you put the ask, when would you like to work together? Right. And if they say, well, I have to think about it, I'll say,
1: huh, in my experience, when clients tell me they need to think about it, it's one of two things. They don't have the gut feeling they're looking for, or they need to uh, do some financial machinations to make sure they can work. You know, am I out to lunch or is that true?
0: Okay. What, what I love about that again, is you're taking on that you're not shying away you're not leaning back from that discomfort of, ah, uh, they haven't said yes, okay, thank you very much. You're leaning into it and asking them to articulate why they're still hesitant, using examples of, in my experience, this means one of two, three things, whatever that is, getting them to qualify what those are so that you can take that further, right? That's where I think that, that's what I'm hearing in that, is that right? Okay. And to me, again, now in your language, that to me sounds like an A-level salesperson, not a C-level, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, and the path between A-level
1: to C-level to A-level to is really not that difficult. It's just, it's understanding some processes and understand the process of managing one's own emotions and feelings.
0: Oh, yeah, so true. And just being aware of what you're feeling in that process. Right and practice, right? Practice, 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 practice.
1: Yeah. Willing fail, willing to fail, fail better, fail better, fail better, feel really great. And, you know, and because it's when you
0: avoid something, it always will dog you. Yeah. Oh, so true. Well, and again, to the point of entrepreneurship is a, is really an opportunity to learn about yourself, right. And, and stop yeah. that, uh, the, the you stop perpetuating the fear and the anxiety. So here's, in the close of this segment, I want to just like really hammer home on the close in the call. So what I'm hearing you say is in that second call, you're actually closing there. And for some, it might be, uh, you know, we're going to get you some sketches. I'm thinking of the cheerleader piece again, we're going to get you some mock-ups. Um, And here's what I want to talk about. So to your point, you said, when can we get the business? Then you might get some pushback around, well, we need to see numbers or we need to see a proposal. Right. And I love you. You've, you've shared with me some advice on sending a proposal over. So you're in the second call you've got someone on the other side that's saying, yes, it sounds great. Send me a proposal, send me some numbers. And then you say, I say, absolutely, I would love to
1: prepare a proposal. Uh, <clears throat> but this is my protocol. And what that means is that I, with the minute I'm ready to send you the proposal, it's prepared, then I'm going to phone you. I, my proposal will be completely lined up, ready to, for me to press send. And you and I will be able to look at my proposal as a first draft. We'll both be looking at it with same or similar eyes. And I consider it first draft because you may have some other ideas, as might I. When we're really clear about the any changes and modifications that we need to make, and I make them, I'll e- promise to email you that. But our first meeting uh, is when we actually define the process and I can't do that without you.
0: Oh, I love it. Again, just an example of leaning in, not shying away, not being afraid of, because most founders just put it out there and then wait for the darn client to call back and say, yeah, we love it, right? Or yeah. sign. So I think to your point of, of that process of just um, clarifying the protocol, I forget you had a term around it, clarifying the call, clarifying the protocol, whatever that is of just, this is just a first draft. We still need to work together and I'll send it. We're gonna set a meeting, we're gonna go through it. We can make the necessary edits or adjustments. I love that. And it definitely does sound, um, it sounds assertive to your point, it's not aggressive, just assertive. But it's also
1: a rationale. Like it's, uh, it just makes sense. It's practical. Like how many times have we as salespeople flung proposals over the fence never to hear from them again? Yep. And if you'd send a proposal in an email without talking it through with your client, then you've just flung it over the fence.
0: Yeah. Well, I think to your point too earlier on, the the resistance around making the sales call, picking up the phone is fear. The resistance to the proposal, again, is fear. Oh, they don't like it or something was wrong or it was too expensive. But they don't follow through to actually even find out what it was. And what I love about your process is it circumvents that discussion because it's a first draft. But it requires
1: assertiveness. Yes.
0: Yes versus yes. confidence okay but confidence is gained by doing more and more of these calls
1: confidence right? is gained over time yes but for me i would never ever do de- and we've had this i would never ever describe myself as confident i describe myself as competent
0: confident. and the reason is, is because i can always learn more and i do i love it that's great so Competent change confidence to competent, and that way, yeah, you just get it you done. You got that model, fear model, right? Yeah, no, yeah. but I'm sure I will. Yeah, fear model. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, Alice. We, uh, yeah, we thank you, founders, for listening. Alice, thank you for um, sharing all of that advice. This was a, a longer than normal episode, but I think you know tons of really important uh, suggestions there, especially for making the call. So get your decision maker get your lists, make the call, go through the ask, guide them through that process, lean into the fear, right? Don't let them off the hook easily because you're there to show up for them and you're there to help them build their business. So that means um, gaining that confidence in making the calling and and walking through that process. You definitely need to be confident. If you're living life as you
1: should be, like by the horns, you'll never be confident.
0: Or, yeah, okay, well, I think that's a whole different episode. How we describe confidence, but I love I love the competent piece. That's great. Okay, so we're back here for one more segment, which is really just the follow-up and the follow-through of making this call. Because once you get the business, that's actually just the tip of the iceberg. There's, you know, a, a process behind that. So Alice is going to join us back here for our last segment of this episode on um, again, follow-up and follow through. Alice, thank you here for part two. So appreciate it. Again, thanks to our chance community future sunrise. And we'll see you back in here for part three of the Gab Lab. All right. Welcome back founders for part three here in the Gab Lab. Today, we're talking all about sales and making that sales call and generating that top line revenue. Alice Wheaton. Has been so kind to join us uh, for our first two parts. We're here for part three. So part one, if you haven't watched it yet, is really just all about the planning necessary and the preparation. Part two is actually making the call. So it's getting on that, getting on that call and uh, the, the the process and the pipeline. And now here in part three, I think way too many founders forget this part i think they you know they they 99 of their work they're like oh my gosh we did the call we got through all the fear and the anxiety and the discomfort we did the proposal we did the ask we got the client we got the prospect to turn into a client and then it feels like the ball just kind of drops it's like okay you know what goal met so i want to talk to you alice about follow through and follow up that this is what this part is all about. And specifically, and I am kind of thinking about some of the the clients that I work with, that the salesperson will get the ball into the goal. They'll charge that goal line. They'll kick it. They'll land the ball. They score the point. And then it just kind of feels like the ball sits in the net. (laughs) It's like no one's continuing with play. So how do we, how do we move that ball now? How do we, you know, what does the transition look like from salesperson now into the customer relationship person? You talked about that, that there's a role for everybody. What should that handoff look like? What have you seen work?
1: <clears throat> and it's interesting depending on, uh, on the industry, for instance, I work, a, I work a lot with uh, self-employed uh ceos who are interested in growing their business and in the beginning i mean they're the you've heard the expression the chief cook and bottle washer right yeah they're the mechanic on their car they you know i've worked out of my house i mean i was i worked out of my house before people were working out of their house so i've worked out of my house all my life plus i was a single mom and then plus, I continually bought revenue properties because I couldn't, I didn't have the bandwidth or the brain power to understand stocks and bonds investing, right? Uh, so I ha- we've, we, that's the unique thing about um, entrepreneurs is that we're multi-talented just as you are. And so, but we can't lose sight of no matter what else we've got going on, the biggest Thing we have to take care of is our business, and if we spend so much work getting a deal, and I've seen it too many times, and you have too, you get the deal, and then you take the client for granted. Mm. And so, and if a client, you know, they keep ordering again and again and again, typically, then what happens is that maybe the salespeople will take them for you know lunch once every six months or something, but. Oftentimes, if they were got themselves embagled into the, the the process that their solution um,
0: was improving, they would find new opportunities. So what, what does that look like, then? Like how, how often do you recommend and I guess every business is different. But if we go to, and I guess now we're talking a little bit about the, the follow up, how often do you recommend a, a salesperson stays in touch with that client? Well, I, ca- I categorize my clients as A, B, or C.
1: I'm okay. not necessarily about revenue. Okay. It's how, how much fun are they to work with? That's, I, I mean, I'm not I'm not into having Debbie Downer days because my client was a cow, right? In fact, if clients aren't, if clients become snappish or impatient or doesn't pay, then I will free up their future. I love that. Okay, um, well, so, okay, go ahead, sorry. And, and typically having a conversation, it's, it's, I call it, it's sort of like a, a gut-busting conversation, but clients call us up and if we make a mistake. And so I might c- talk to a client and say, you know, we ordered, we ordered, you ordered these uh, suits, uh, these cheerleading outfits, we built them for you, and, and what we noticed that they're coming back to be repaired a lot, and so my sense is, is that could have been because the fabric you chose was the least expensive, and it doesn't wash well, it doesn't hold up well. And I feel partly responsible for that. I should have been pushier and said, no, you have to buy this product instead. So I'm going to add, what I like to do is redo them and it'll cost you this much instead of that much. So your A clients are someone that you can have that kind of conversation with. Okay. Your B clients are someone that will don't care about their image, right? And your C clients want, you know, want the bare minimum. And so I follow up again, according to A, B, and C. If someone's an A client, I phone them at least
0: every single month. And what do you say? Because you're not asking for business on each of those calls, I would imagine. Right? I'm, so I'm following up and I might even make fun of myself.
1: I say, I know it's going to sound neurotic, but also this is a part is, is the pre-planning The deal's done. Now, just so you know, Tanya, I'm a little bit neurotic about follow-up. So I probably will call you every month for the first five, six months. Wow. Okay. Now, you can tell me not to, and I'll be okay with that. But on the whole, my clients, Tanya, on the whole, my clients prefer because sometimes we exchange ideas that they wouldn't have thought of beforehand. So now you're
0: creating a benefit for your client. OK, so now here's the question, because I know I can I can I can hear the founders that I know they're thinking, OK, well, we'll make that the customer service reps job to actually do the follow up. You could do that. Okay. But I would I would do the follow up myself and
1: then formally hand it over to a customer service rep. Oh, we're going to be on a comp. Hey, John, uh, Sue has joined our company and her express role is to support our clients so that there's Almost no glitches, and if there are, they're resolved almost instantly. She's going to be on a call with me today because I want to introduce you to her. I'll give her the history of our working together, and 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 also at the same time, if you ever have any questions or concerns about Sue, you could call me back Hi. right away.
0: So in my mind, I'm going again to your ABC level sales people. The C level sales people are the one that the ones that want to hand it off to the customer relationship crew. And your A-level are the ones that want to manage and own the relationship with the client at every every stage. So even if it's about procurement and even if the order is now in place and and there's a team that's working on the order, your A-level salesperson is always going to be checking in to make sure the order is going according to plan and then doing the follow-up, making sure it's being shipped on time and then checking in with the client to make sure that they got it. They're owning that relationship or at least making sure everything's getting done.
1: They're owning the satisfaction of the client. Okay, okay. But they don't do it forever. They might do it for the first three
0: months because their job is to go out and get a new client. Okay, but then to, to uh, this point about w- what about the the next sale from that from that existing client. It will exist because this, the A-level salespeople
1: stays in touch. And as a root, so I advocate A-level salespeople call, every salesperson call A-level client once a month, B-level clients every two months and C-level every three months with the expressed objective of turning the Cs into Bs and Bs into As. Okay. But the salesperson can't be doing the customer service work because there's only so much time Right. In the day.
0: But then that the salesperson is always in touch with the client. Even when the client becomes an A-level, it's always going to be every three months to check in after the orders are done. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In the beginning
1: for the first three
0: months, it's every month, every month,
1: every month with a, and then, and then it can transition over to a customer service person or someone else. But if it's a B-level client and they've ordered I don't know, 10,000 a quarter versus 100,000 a quarter. I still want to know because to me, B levels have high potential to become A levels.
0: Okay. Okay. So so I'm mistaken then, because I'm hearing you say that even with an A level customer, once they are a repeat customer, then the salesperson exits that, and it goes right to your customer service team. Because their job is not customer
1: service, their game, their their, hunt, their big game. Okay. Is closers. Hence,
0: one of your books. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my books. Okay, so I think <laughs> really, you <laughs> know, that but that's the core here of follow up and follow through, right? So yeah. ensure that the expectations were met, if not exceeded, that's on the role of the salesperson, and the the salesperson is really there to ensure not only did the business get secured but that that next order or those referrals are secured and then that is truly now an ongoing client and then once you have that then it can get passed on to your customer service team that will then take that ball and then keep it in motion and he always he or she
1: always stays in touch with the customer service people so right um, you know even though the customer service person is now following up monthly yes they're, they are not completely out of the loop because a customer service person will come and say, hey, John, over here
0: has got a real problem. Yeah, I love that. Now, you know me, Alice, I'm all about planning and, and strategy. And you, <laughs> I over plan and over strategize and, you know, can sometimes use that as a crutch. But so what I'm hearing, what I can see is kind of this 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 metric where you've got a customers, B customer, C customers, you've identified what makes them A, B or C. You've identified what will hopefully move them up, and then you've identified the touch points for each one of them. So when you'll be following up, who follows up with that customer and what you say to actually try moving them through into these other other quadrants, other pillars. It's ultimately customer service is purpose-driven. Love it. Okay.
1: Because the purpose is to make sure our customers are happy, to find out if they need anything else, and to stay in touch. Okay, that's the purpose. The purpose of
0: the salesperson is to get the client. Get the revenue in, brilliant, okay. So Alice, I know we just talked a little bit about books and you've shown up so powerfully here over the last hour, hour and a half with respect to making these calls and getting that ball into the net and then keeping the ball in motion. But um, outside of this call, what are the ways that you support founders? Do you do one-on-one work anymore with founders? I do a lot of one-on work before,
1: but here's a caveat. I really, I really prefer working with founders where I can get involved and make the calls with them and for them because it's
0: no better way to teach it. (laughs) And I just, I hear that. And I think what a great sales. And I know it's not a pitch, but what founder doesn't want someone making the calls for them? Right. But you put them on the hot seat too. I've seen you do it. And you've seen me sit there and yes. day after day man, making
1: outreach calls, setting appointments. I mean, what's, what's the... What yes,
0: yes. Well, I've also seen you put the founder on the hot seat and make the calls themselves while you're sitting there listening to them, right? Which is so key because then they hang up and you can do this better next time. Did you notice that you rambled on this, right? Like tighten that up and so...
1: so if yeah. The founder doesn't know, then they can't possibly yes. manage coach their people reporting to them.
0: Yes. Okay. Um and so yes, I've I have been fortunate enough to watch you in action. And it's true sure you're every you're worth every single penny because it just it forces people out of their comfort zone. You remind me of like a, a fitness coach that's watching a, a person do a squat. Like do your squat. I'll watch you and I'll, you know, I'll do one with you and then watch your form and tell you what to do differently, but you don't let people off the hook, which is really important. No, I get, and sometimes the truth is I get more committed to
1: their success than they are. <laughs> oh, um, okay. As every single fitness instructor has found about me, they were more committed to me. Oh,
0: than okay. I was. That's not true. That's <laughs> not true. I see you in action. Okay, um, so one on one, and then I know that you're also a master of of writing, and you know there's no fear in you getting your 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 ideas out there on paper. So, how many books do you have now? Four? I've got five books. Five so books. I'm, okay. Now,
1: and I'm now writing, and this is what happens. Uh, I'm now writing books for CEOs. Okay. All right. Because I work with them, and you know, I find it about their business and find out you know what it took to get them there. And always, I'm uplifted and inspired and, and grateful for the opportunity to know them. And, uh, and so, I, you know, a lot of times they say, well, I want to I get some pieces that I can post on LinkedIn. Okay, yeah. well, let's sit and let me just give you the next
0: 50 posts for P- LinkedIn or something like that. Brilliant. And what's your, what's your latest sales book? The top 10? How the top 10% of oh, CEOs? How the top 10% do it. How the Okay. Awesome. And I know you've been very generous saying that, you know, if people want, we'll put the link to the book in the show notes so people can access that and, and oh, be really able to good. read a little bit about Find it.
1: Email me at alice at alicewheaton.com and awesome. Get a, get a signed
0: well, copy. Yes. A little bit digital, so not quite. Well, yeah, I'll it, but you'll get a digital Okay. <laughs> Digital signature. Uh, Alice, well, thank you so, so much. You've invested so much time with us here today and with founders over the course of the last, you know, 10, 20 years and really helping people to understand the power of making that call, making that connection. I'm not going to say build relationship, but... um, experiencing the competency required to get the call to actually land and then get that repeat business. And um, it, it means the world that you were able to show up here this morning on this call and share that message with founders. So thank you. And again, I'll put all of your contact information in the notes below. So please don't hesitate to reach out to Alice if you have been hesitating to make a phone call. If this episode didn't do it for you on making that call, please reach out to Alice. I promise you that she will be the light Uh, at the end of the tunnel or the fire under your butt, whichever it is that you need to start making those calls and getting that revenue in. And just a final uh, shout out um, and, and words of appreciation for our show, show champion today, Community Future Sunrise. Again, thank you for all that you do for founders out there uh, in Saskatchewan, uh, you make a world of difference. So thank you founders for listening, for watching, however you're absorbing this content. And we'll see you back in here for the next episode of The Gap Lab. Bye for now.
1: Fantastic. Thank you, Tanya. It's
0: a pleasure as always. Always. Thank you, Alice. Thank you. Bye.